0: I'm gonna do one here. I'm adding to it, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Play hard. Stay safe. Don't be a dick. This is rink stories. Like that. Like the first two are like you're saying something nice and happy to them and you finally say, Don't be a dick. Like, do it like say, La la, la la, don't be a dick, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: mean, who who can argue
0: with that? I have that dude because when I left that in you didn't even know but that's like the last thing you hear in the outro of the other thing is you hear you going don't be a dick (laughs) yeah he's like don't be a dick (laughs) don't be a dick and then you end with don't be a dick and I'm like yes Thanks for tuning into this week's edition of Rink Stories. Your host, Bob Winter.
1: Today's guest is the winningest netminder in UMass Minuteman history and a recently crowned Frozen 4 champion. Please welcome the six-foot-one goaltender out of St. Albert, Alberta, number 31, Matt Murray. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad you showed up. I mean, you caught my eye because uh, I follow college hockey a decent amount. When I heard the story about how you got in there during the semifinal game against UMD, uh, and then watched that game and that inspirational performance, uh, I thought maybe I'll try to get you on here.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, uh, it was it was a crazy weekend, um, and it's probably one of the best experiences of my life so far. So yeah, glad to be able to share.
1: I bet you know the other kid I was thinking about uh, approaching, but. If you had said no, I was going to uh, call up number 10, Lopina.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he's a fantastic player. Yeah, he's awesome. He uh, he came in here and he, uh, he set the bar pretty high.
1: Yeah, he was kind of like an energy guy. He was all over the ice, basically. Yeah. And he has beautiful flow.
2: Yeah, yeah, he does.
1: I think the best-looking flow in that game, in my opinion. 20 is pretty good as well. Uh, yours was pretty good when you had the helmet off. But you said that you just recently cut it back a little bit.
2: Yeah. Well, I I hadn't cut it before. Well, since August, back when I was at home. And then I just never got around to it by, like, November or such. And I was like, yeah, I'll just just roll with it. But by the end, it was was getting pretty lengthy. And so I think it was the Monday after we got back and went and got it cut off.
1: Okay. So you're saying it was more about laziness or inattentiveness to uh your personal hygiene rather than you know being a real hockey
2: guy no no it started it started with just with covid protocols all the salons and stuff could have like minimum capacity or the barbershops and whatever so i just never uh was able to get a time and then it went a few months and i started growing it out and i was like i kind of liked it and then it was getting colder so a little extra hair wouldn't wouldn't hurt and keep me warmer, yeah. and uh then i
1: just ended i ended up rolling with it nice
2: yeah
1: um okay so let's get into the the frozen four so the game was on thursday april 8th in pittsburgh and a day or two before that it was announced that there was some kind of a contact tracing event that was going to take four players out of that game including the starting goaltender philip lindberg and another goaltender
2: Yeah. Yeah. Our, um, our other goalie, Henry Graham.
1: And your leading scorer, Carson Kasevich. Yep. When that all happened, it was down to you. And I guess the, one of the trainers would have been the fourth string goalie. So you knew you were going to get in there, right? Yeah. How did that, how did that conversation go that day?
2: Um, well, when we found out it was pretty hectic just from hearing horror stories from the previous week at regionals with like, uh, Michigan they're about to play and then all of a sudden they get shut down for COVID protocol and whatnot so we were just hoping that we'd, we'd still be able to play and still be able to go um obviously when I heard when I heard what was happening it was it was a no-brainer that I was going to be playing and uh I was just excited because it had been since January 18th or something like that since my last game and always wanted to be to be, to be on the ice and and hockey and so uh just being able to get that opportunity back i was pretty excited
1: now you're no uh noob or anything like that you you've played in you played in 85 games in your college career you started for a lot of it but you did go just about three months without appearing in a game and they always the coaches are always like be ready right
2: and all this stuff did you feel ready yeah no for sure i feel like for the first couple weeks afterwards, when after my last game, it was just trying to uh, battle a little bit mentally with not playing and, and this uh, being being the second guy because I was used to being the first guy. And uh, the previous year was pretty fifty-fifty with us, so it was a little bit struggling. Just like I thought, like I lost the net, but then I just turned to it, where just try to look for an opportunity in any which way, and that just came down to. I don't have to play, then I need to work harder in practices. I need to make sure that I'm treating practices as games. You never know what's going to happen and uh, need to be ready for whatever happens.
1: So, you weren't uh, any more nervous than you otherwise would have been for a national semifinal game
2: i was probably less nervous than i probably should have been and i feel like that was more just because the nerves were drowned out with excitement i was just so excited to play hockey so excited to be on the ice in a game again and i think that was extremely beneficial because like i i touched on the nerves just weren't as heightened as they probably should have been
1: now what about what about the guys? How was the locker room missing all those players and uh having you going in
2: there? I think it was a moment that brought the entire team just that much closer. Like we've already we were already an extremely close team, probably one of the most close knit groups that I've, I've ever been a part of. And just in that just when when we were there and everything, it was just everyone everyone's banding together, everyone's gonna pull on the rope that much harder and, and, and pick up the slack that those guys would normally be pulling on. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great atmosphere even with a couple the guys there.
1: Not necessarily the captain, but who's kind of the spiritual leader of the team? Who's who's the guy that's getting up on top of the bench and telling everybody what's going to happen?
2: Our, our team rolls a lot more with just like a do-your-job mentality. We don't have mm-hmm. an overload of rah-rah guys screaming around all the time. Just is a huge vocal, physical presence um in the locker room so there's definitely a little bit more from other guys stepping up to fill that to fill that spot but i feel like a lot of guys are have a lot of internal motivation and and um and that push so there's not a whole whole lot of need to fill an empty vocal presence
1: plus your team has been really good basically the whole
2: time you've been there right yeah, somewhat. I mean, my first year was was a uh, wasn't our wasn't our best year obviously within the past 4. Um we're still in that rebuilding phase. Um I was fortunate I was able to play a lot my freshman year and then sophomore year we went to the national championship game. Made a great team, full of great guys. And then last year we were we were great again and uh thought we had a real strong team and I would have loved to see how that would have turned out, but obviously everything that happened we never got a chance to and then this year i'd say yeah we're we're strong we had we had it we had our dips um and then uh but we were able to just pull out of them and keep battling
1: so you guys were all right you guys were great three out of four years Uh, so now now it's coming back to me because that sophomore year of yours that was a breakout year and you guys were number one in the polls there for quite some time
2: i think it was sophomore year yeah was Yeah. yeah that's that was, when
1: people really started to take note of you guys on the national yeah yeah level excellent okay ned harkness the, the uh, cornell coach In 1970, they're just coming off of the national championship. They're second of two. They haven't won since. They're in a 50-year drought right now. He said that he would allow uh, the Cornell jersey to appear in those scenes only if Cornell won the game in the movie. (laughs) And they do win the game 4-3 to on a third-period roof job over a stack-padded Joe Bertagna. And Now as a consequence, the Cornell Big Red Pep Band, whenever they play against Harvard, plays the theme from Love Story.
3: What? That's crazy. I know. Does anyone get the joke? I mean, like, is it just the band is like...
1: (laughs) Well, their band is known for all sorts of antics and chants and famous songs and, and as okay, far as so. as
0: far as band antics go, you know,
1: right? <laughs> right. <laughs> they have a lot of antics, but I had noticed that they played that song, but I did not know the significance of it. So I want to thank Only a Game for opening the door for me to figure that out. I'm
3: Karen Given. And how is the hockey in it? Is it good hockey?
0: The hockey stuff is all real, and it looks good. There's none of that.
3: <laughs> That's good. Let's That's start.
0: Well,
1: one of the things concerning the hockey scenes is, but Ryan O'Neill was an absolute bender. Okay. He couldn't stand up straight on skates. He stunk, yeah. and uh, they had to have the Harvard team played played the, in the scenes, and uh, they had a. A guy that had his number and a helmet that was fashioned with a wig to look like Ryan O'Neal's flowing blonde locks. And uh, you can see there's one moment after he gets a penalty where he's gliding wobbly-like over to the bench. And that's actually Ryan O'Neal. That's
3: actually him. (laughs) And I think
1: that might be the, and a couple of other times when the players are piled on top of one another, a scrum is breaking out, he would be there. But whenever the play was going on, he was not.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you guys never asked how I came to watch Love Story? How did you come to watch Love Story? <laughs> My mom had a crush on Ryan O'Neill. <sighs> <laughs> Who didn't?
1: It's uh, right. Bill Cleary and Joe Bertania, is that who's in that film? Yeah. The two legendary figures right there, but I wanted to double click on Joe Bertania he runs a goaltending school Mm -hmm. and uh, he's also been the goalie coach for the Bruins and he's a longtime commissioner of Hockey East that's the conference where uh, BU plays
3: it is yeah
1: so uh, we might have to have him on I thought that was kind of fun and he was the goalie obviously in all the scenes and that's kind of what your story was about want to do this little segment that my partner Matt usually does which is called wrist shots Uh, I'll just ask you some rapid fire questions all right are you ready
2: just kind of just like a rapid fire
1: thing yeah it's basically a rapid fire thing all right here we go first rank you skated on
2: uh arena in st albert maybe favorite hockey movie Miracle.
1: Red or black licorice. Red. Biggest shithole arena. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
2: Probably Oliver is a Serena in Edmonton, and uh, I don't even think it exists anymore.
1: Sammy Hagar or Diamond David Lee Roth. Sammy. Favorite
2: Rink Stories episode? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> probably, probably be this one when it's put up. Your hockey nickname? Mers.
1: Who did you idolize growing up?
2: Roder and uh, Carey Price.
1: Very nicely done. Thank you for playing wrist shots. The one that jumped out at me was one of the first questions about the movie. We've had a mixture of people from Canada and the U S and different parts of both countries come onto this podcast. You're the first Canadian to say miracle.
2: (laughs) I feel like, I think it's a great movie and especially like from the college segment of it. Mm -hmm. I've really Mm -hmm. learned how to connect with it. I was when, you, when that one came up, I thought of two right away. And that first one was Miracle. And then the second one would have been uh, Boys on the Bus with the um, 80s Oilers team with Gretzky, Messier, Curry, all those guys on there. Uh, it's a, it was a really good movie. It's kind of like a docuseries.
1: Wow, I haven't seen that one. I was going to ask you if that was a documentary or a uh, drama.
2: Yeah, they like they kind. Of, it's kind of it was kind of uh that twenty four seven style thing, but it was, yeah. uh, it was like a like movie and they had just like the behind the scenes guy camera roll, rolling the whole time and it's a pretty good, pretty good movie. Okay, and you're Oilers all the way, right? Yeah, I mean, I grew up obviously right outside Edmonton, so I was always an Oilers fan growing up. But once I kept getting into the game of hockey, I just became just a hockey fan like. Plus, also help that. Other than in '06, there was no real Oilers Cup run or excellence in in my tenure there. So
1: that's true. Because when I I was um, I don't want to date myself or anything like that. But when they had that run, I was in high school or something. <laughs> <laughs> so and then of course the aftermath of that, because then Messier stuck around and he won the fifth Cup.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that, then, that. you know. Yeah, and then that's like, that's kind of like all with the boys, that boys in the blast movie is it's right during that era where they're all winning cups and yeah, yeah great team there.
1: Yeah, it almost, re- those two almost remind me of, um I don't even know if you know about all this, but Kobe and Shaq with the Lakers. Yeah. They won their first three championships together. And then after they split, there was a whole thing about, you know, who was greater and who would win a championship next, et cetera. Yeah. So anyway. going into the national semifinal games against UMD, by the way you you take care of uh, Bemidji State in the regional final and then you go to the Frozen Four where there are three other Minnesota teams waiting for you did you notice that pattern?
2: yeah, yeah, no that was I noticed that a lot like um, there's like articles and stuff it was just like the whole Minnesota versus Massachusetts Minnesota versus everybody else kind of thing
1: I don't know if you... Did you watch the uh, playback of it on TV?
2: Of the Duluth game? Yeah. No, no, I haven't been able to watch it yet.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to give you a couple of spoilers there because let's just say that Barry Melrose and Bucci Gross, they were UMD all the way. Oh, I bet. They loved them. They couldn't stop talking about how great they were and they were just dying to throw dirt on you guys. Oh, I bet. And they kind of shut up and got on your side like, later than they should have probably uh, well into the third period you know you guys had the better of the play in the third period and probably even in the second period but the game didn't start off too well for you all right you had to make a bunch of saves early I think it was uh halfway through the first period before your team had a shot on goal and you'd faced about 10. How were you feeling at that point?
2: I was feeling good um going into the game like I said before I was really excited. I was just, I was just making. I was. Just, it was in that mentality that like, this is that opportunity that come that does not come again often, and yeah. I'm just ready to make the most of it. And a lot of times, there's games where you don't get a lot of action early, and then you're fighting to keep that initial adrenaline and initial motion going. Uh-huh. And uh, some goalies like that. Some goalies don't. Um, but I think everybody likes being able to see pucks early and stop some pucks early and, and get comfortable in that. And I think, I think that felt great for me.
1: Yeah. Well, Melrose commented that you looked pretty sharp early on and that they thought the team's confidence would grow throughout the, the game, which is essentially what happened.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think that happened, um, I think there's always well with with what UMD has been able to do for the past several years, it's they're kind of like the uh, big guys on the block and they have they have their their success as of recent and over the past couple of years. So I think we were we were just kind of I think we didn't jump in fee first all the way. I think we kind of dipped our toe a little bit in the the first little bit of of that game. And uh, but the the guys ended up getting comfortable, getting confident and showed obviously at the end of the game
1: Cool so let me show you I'm going to show you some clips from the broadcast and I want you to feel free to be as technical as you want about goaltending because we have goaltenders listening so five minutes into the first period and you had a little um, action in front of you and you ended up dropping your stick and covering it with your blocker hand let's take a look at it can you see oh you can see my screen yeah yeah Yeah. okay that's you in the white (laughs) yeah yeah this other angle you can see it a little better the guy goes in front of the net your looks like your stick gets kind of
2: caught around the post it got caught on the inside of the post when i came over and then uh it just one of those things that I've learned along the ways and done some work with is cannot fumble with with your gear, with your stick or anything, and just and just deal with it. So like as soon as I felt that kind of um, pressure from, from my stick come there, I just I just let it go and it's kind of that whatever I'll deal with it later. Yeah, and then the puck came to my uh, right knee area, so I just grabbed it.
1: <laughs> but that's that's part of your normal repertoire then is to. If the stick gets tangled up and the puck's right under your hand, you just drop the stick.
2: Yeah, all, all you have to do is cover it. It doesn't have to be with your glove. I mean, if I wanted to, I, I could have laid on top of it or something. Um, so it's just trying to freeze the puck as quickly as possible.
1: Good. Now, as we get into the second period, game's getting a little tighter. You guys are, are getting a little stronger as it goes along. But here's what I think was one of your most uh, amazing plays of the day, of the evening. Young man by the name of Nick Sweeney, the five-eleven forward out of Lakeville, Minnesota. You familiar with his work?
2: Yeah, I played against him when I was in Fargo. He was on Waterloo as well. So. Oh, no kidding! Played against him. Is he sick? Yeah, he's he's pretty good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so here's what happens in this play. We'll, we'll we'll play it in a second. You can either narrate it or comment on it. But he goes along the left boards and moves the puck between his legs as he turns on the Jets. And rounds the corner, right? And so he's coming towards you just a couple feet above the goal line from your right side. And then you're going to stretch across to your left and stop him with the pad and the glove over the pad. So I want you to tell me what you think about this play and, you know, any kind of technique things that that were at play there.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's more just, so he's coming across the top pretty much horse parallel with with the uh, goal line there so there's no real depth change it's just going to be fully lateral change and since I was on my post and with him being um, a righty he, he had the ability to push the puck further than he even was hmm. so my first instinct was just to cover across the goal line fully parallel so that would that's just a back rotation on my uh, um with with my left skate and then throwing my left knee down and driving across to the other side of the post. And then through the whole thing that like what I've grown up with my goalie coach is it's always heads, hand, feet. Um, that's just how how the neural pattern's gonna work. So the first thing is just keep my eyes always on the puck and then knowing and training with that with that um, movement and in lateral push, just get, just making sure that I'm able to seal the ice with, especially with him being the righty, he's going to push the puck, and if he's pushing it, he's going to lose leverage to be able to get the puck up, so just trying to cover across as low as possible, and then obviously bringing your hands with you to get above the pad, but I wasn't too concerned about him being able to get the puck up with just where the position he was in.
1: Because of how close he was to your pad?
2: Not necessarily because of how close he was, but with him pushing the puck, being a righty on his forehand, he's pushing it forward, and then so he's going to be leaning more, and he's not going to be able to get that leverage to rotate his his stick blade to pop the puck up as much.
1: Oh, so he would have just been able to use like his wrists yeah. only and not the rest of his body. Yeah. Huh, because I was sure that uh, he would have regretted not being able to roof that thing.
2: Yeah, because well, if you think about it, like if you're gonna put your hands all, the, if you're gonna extend your arms all the way, it's easier to roll your wrists over than to put them up because you can. When you're rolling them over as a right-handed, you're gonna pushing the puck forward. Whereas if you're fully extended and you open your wrists, you have no, you have no leverage to actually move the puck anywhere. That's that all. the leverage has to come from your shoulders or your trunk.
1: What if it was a backhand? What if it was a uh, left-handed shot?
2: Um, if he was a lefty, he's probably not gonna be able to push the puck out as far just because he'd have his back towards me and then he just would lose length in his arms. Yeah, he'd be able to get it up easier because just the nature of of stick blades and curves that uh, when they're flat, a lot of times the uh, the backhand is open. but yeah, that was kind of where I was in this situation.
1: You weren't as worried about it as I was, apparently. That was kind of a routine play.
2: Yeah, I mean it all happened so fast that it's it's not really a whole lot of thinking and it's just it's just playing and just reacting. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of over analyzing it on video, Yeah, that that's would have been that's what would have happened.
1: Yeah, it happened in like a half a second and you <laughs> took two minutes to describe it. But um is that an example of the reverse
2: VH? Um, I think when I was still on that on that post before I came across the net. I think so. I might have been in full butterfly, but before the camera shifted, but at some point, yeah, that was definitely in reverse.
1: Okay. So that might be a save that uh, goalies couldn't routinely make 40 years ago.
2: <laughs> yeah, it would, been, it would
1: have looked a little different. <laughs> awesome. That was a great breakdown.
4: Love no, is never having to say you saw. Okay.
1: In doubt, it's always good to just try to cover up the puck and get yeah. a whistle.
4: Yep, yep. Okay. but they don't work on that at practice. I'll, I'll, I'll have a coach say to me, "Geez, uh, glad you, you showed up at practice." You know, Billy just he can't tie the puck up. You know, he, he's giving up goals because he keeps the puck in play. Then you watch practice, and every time he goes to tie it up, there's some adult yelling, "Move it, move it!" We only have 50 minutes. And so, well, right. you think he's going to get good at that if you don't give him a chance to work at it? It's the same thing. He doesn't handle the puck well. You watch the whole practice. And he, you never dump the puck in on him, around him, around the boards, so he has to learn in the game, because you don't give him the opportunity to work in practice.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things that you talked about in revisiting goaltending, which was the importance of developing game sense, Yeah. one thing, and the other related thing was how the goalies need to kind of take control of their team on the one hand, but they're being reactive to whatever's happening on the ice on the other hand.
4: Yeah there you know it is a it's a game that has a balance of patience a lot of it patience just be in the right place let them do the first thing and then those few times where aggressiveness and being proactive is the best move and needed and those types of decisions take experience to 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 know when to, when to to attack the puck when to attack space when to read that the, the puck carry has very few things they can do so you can take advantage of that Those are things I've always enjoyed teaching because, yeah. by starting as late as I did and not really being a natural athlete, um, I, I'd wonder how did I get to Division One? You know, I. A lot of times I look back and and, it's, and I focus on the disappointments, the the, the horrible game at Ithaca, the uh, <laughs> the championship's not won, the big game's yeah. not won, and and you'd think all right, you're almost 70 years old, for God's sakes, as Mike Schaefer said to me, let it go, Joe, let it go, and. Uh, <laughs> and and realize you know you became a goalie as a 14 year old sophomore and you ended up beating BU and and Cornell and Michigan and and uh BC you know you had a career don't focus on the things you didn't do but the the bigger point was that without being the natural athlete how did I do that and I I think I broke down the game as I was playing I was learning and teaching myself as I was playing so as I became an adult I had this fascination with, all right, how can I look back on what I did to, you know, a year and a half after I started, Bill Cleary was recruiting me for Harvard. All right. Mm -hmm. So in March of 1968, I had been a goalie for 18 months. He was officiating the state tournament game that we won. And a month later, he was calling me to recruit me. And I'm scratching my head saying, wow, this happened fast. So. What can I take from the journey that I had and um, break it down and teach it so other goalies who are more talented and more athletic can couple the athleticism with what I think are valuable uh, methods to read, react, and play the game. And that's what I've been doing for almost 50 years.
1: I'm not going to we're not going to put this in there, Matt, but like I'm a little sore at Coach Schaefer
0: of the Cornell Big Red. OK, what do you mean? We're not going to put it in there. You're <laughs> going to dog the Big Red. It's going in there.
1: How much do we blow smoke up his pant leg? Like, week to week. Yeah.
0: Right. Every episode. Yeah. I write him a very proper email about this long. Using his Cornell uh, English literature degree.
1: Ten cent words in there. I'm a contemporary of his. He was on campus when I was on campus. Class of what, Bob? Class of a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) I am one year uh, younger than Coach Schaefer.
0: Mm -hmm. uh, Contemporary, indeed.
1: Yeah. If you know Coach Schaefer out there, give him a nudge. Say, why aren't you writing back to Ring Stories? Ring Stories is talking about you guys all the
0: time. 25 episodes, 23 mentions. (laughs) Something like that. There's one or two episodes where we didn't go into the whole thing about the Big Red.
1: The Ring Stories Podcast is produced by Matt Hoff. Artwork and music by Ken Klein, the Monabs, and TFIC. Please subscribe rate and review the ring stories podcast do it right now go over to the app hit the subscribe button hit the five stars put a little comment there that'll help us out a lot and tell your friends and tell your friends also you might want to go back and listen to some of those old episodes you know what an underappreciated episode is Matt? oh bob which one number 28 the rink stories mixtape volume 1 where uh, Matt just puts together all the sounds of rink stories in a beautiful tapestry of incidental music and hockey sounds very relaxing half hour very little spoken word in that one check it out today my new favorite episode by the way I know Uchigros, UMass not scaring them at all, but there's still time left. And then Barry Melrose goes, UMD is a machine. There ain't any room to get scoring chances, which I thought was, I thought all that was a bit overdramatic, but that's that's the kind of talk that was going on at that point.
2: Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. They're a great team and they have the success and it's well-earned. I mean, they, they play hockey the right way, very similar way that, that we play that, hard, tough-nosed battle, 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 um, while still being fast hockey, and I think think they do that really well.
1: Yeah, I mean, they didn't win the two championships in a row for nothing,
2: right? Exactly.
1: I was going to ask you about your goalie mask and Humboldt and all that. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not really a very cheerful topic for you, or did you want to get into
2: that? I can can talk about it. I mean, obviously. All right, well, yeah, let me just
1: set it up then. They did mention it on the the broadcast, and there was uh, articles about it and so forth, but um, you had a connection to the humble Broncos tragedy from three years ago in terms of uh, knowing a bunch of uh, players who were on that team and on that bus, some of whom passed away, and you paid tribute to them by how you've... uh, adorned your goalie mask
2: yeah yeah obviously uh that was that was something that that shook the hockey world and for a lot of us shook our entire world um i think every every hockey player can connect with it in some way because everyone spent time on a bus with with their team with their with their best friends and when you're on that bus there's that's the last thing you could ever think about—is something going wrong. But yeah, so I—I I knew a few guys on the team, um, and and lost lost some good friends. Um, so I thought that one way I could carry on somewhat of a legacy and just honor them and that was all that was my biggest goal was to just honor their names and everybody that was involved so i uh worked with our with our mask artist and uh, he him and i went back and forth and figured out a way to get everybody's names on Um, my helmet i had that one my uh sophomore no my junior year sorry um And then for the first half no sorry yeah it was my sophomore year and then the first half of my junior year i was wearing that and uh it meant a lot just to be able to wear them wear them proudly honor their names honor who they were as people and even the people i didn't know that were that were on that bus yeah it's just it's a hockey community and you know that first name, i'm sure
1: how did you know those kids you did you play with them in juniors or something like that
2: yeah growing up with some and playing with others back well hockey's like i said hockey's a small world and you know a lot of guys Stephen Wack was one of my one of my close friends lived just down the street from him walking distance uh i played with him growing up all throughout minor hockey in town and worked out with him for for years and uh so him, him and I were pretty close, and then another the one of my friends there, uh, Connor Lucan, met him, in my rep hockey days in Saint Albert when I was like 15 or so, and then we ended up playing in Spruce Grove with the Saints when I started playing junior hockey, and we were we were like best buddies. It was it was great. He was a couple years older than me, and and him, him him and I just got we just got along really well, and then also there's uh. Logan Hunter, who is a year younger than I am, and he's a Saint Albert kid. Went to school with him, been on the ice around him. Uh, Jackson Joseph is another Saint Albert kid. Same thing. His dad, uh, Chris Joseph, played in the NHL and was a huge, huge hockey presence in our community. Um, always on the ice, always helping out at camps and 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 within minor hockey. Um, and it was just and then um, the other goalie, Parker Tobin. Him, he's uh, he's from Spruce Grove, so it was like 30 minutes from me. Um, never really got to play with him or be on a team with him, but I uh, knew him and, and been around him before. And it's, it's, a, it's a goal if the hockey world's one thing, the goalie world is even smaller. Yeah. It's a, yeah so just wanted to be able to honor them in some way. And then obviously uh, Tyler Smith, um, he was on that team as well. Good friend. And uh, he he was able he survived and uh, he's he's been great for it and he's he's done a lot of great things um, with working with mental health um, in in and around our area and throughout Canada and he's he's done he's done an amazing job and he's he's such a a great guy so I just wanted to be able to honor them.
1: Wow, it's an amazing gesture and uh, almost unspeakable loss to lose guys you know like I didn't realize that so many of them were from St. Albert
2: yeah yeah it's that place breeds
1: hockey players it seems yeah wow well thanks for sharing that that's not a real pleasant topic but it, I love the way that uh, you know it's kind of brought hockey together in some ways and as you said uh, raising awareness about some different issues so
2: yeah yeah
1: uh, there's a little bit of a silver lining there to that terrible situation
0: fan, we've talked about this on the show before but whenever the word Hasek comes up I have to bring this up. Did you happen to see 1996 quarterfinals game 6, Hasek and Brodeur, the four overtime game, that Hasek had 70 saves in that game and the game wound up being a one nothing game, game 6 of the playoffs?
4: Well, I, I don't remember
0: it there's, there's a couple of interesting nuggets from that that I found, Bob. I did a little research after we talked about it once before. Oh, did you? At the end of regulation, Hashig had 31 saves and Brodor had 30. And the Devils, in four overtimes, outshot the Sabres 35 to 20. And the Sabres <laughs> still won one to nothing. <laughs> um, it was Scotty Bowman's record 191st playoff game coaching. Wow. We're big uh, Bowman fans. We did an episode on Scotty Bowman early on in our our thing. Did you talk to him? We did not talk to him, but we did an episode um, where we basically talked about the greatest hockey coaches of all time, and you can't talk about them without including Mr. Bowman. Sure. You didn't see this? You don't know much of this game? I
4: I don't have it in my memory. My my takeaway would have been just how different the two goalies' styles were.
0: Um, the two yeah. styles were so different, but in that game, think about it—one nothing game, four overtimes. It was one of the most exciting hockey games I ever saw, and they didn't score till the very last shot.
4: And Brodeur was kind of a, a hybrid throwback, like Mike Richter. You know, stayed on their feet a lot more, and um, uh, and and then Hasek was hard to, to describe.
1: So I was going to, should I ask you something uh, fun or something that's going to make you more pissed off?
3: Uh, <laughs> it depends. It depends on what what's, you want. What, what's I better? Never, pissed, but...
1: Give me your most. Uh, let's talk about the Cornell Big Red. Yeah, there you we go. both went there. Uh, happily, we weren't there at the same time. <laughs> give me your most vivid uh, non-hockey memory.
3: Uh, there. Oh, my God without putting myself in trouble. Um I think my most limitations
1: has run out on all
3: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh I think um the uh chapter house uh with my friends doing massive uh pictures uh and just like I think they were like a dime back then, like, you know, if you want at happy hour and yeah. just like really enjoying hockey stories and I remember we had come back from a road trip, I think, walking in and just like getting a round of applause from the whole bar. And, you know, that's pretty cool when you're on a women's sports, you know, and it was yeah. a hockey house. The chapter house was known as a hockey hockey bar. So it was kind of fun. Um, you know, the other another great story was uh, when I first got there, we used to have bonfires out at my coach, Bill Doothy's house. And uh, in, getting introduced to the whole team around a bonfire, drinking beers at 17 years old uh, with the yeah. whole team was pretty magical. Were you 17 when you went there? I was because um, I'm a December baby. I just had my birthday. And uh, when I started college, I was 17.
1: I've got one more and then we'll turn off the video. This is pretty much the sequence that made it possible for UMass to win this game. And you're at the center of it. You've got a minute and a half left in regulation. Uh, We're still five on five here before a couple of penalties. You make two saves. The second one goes under your ankle and strikes some part of your goalie pad. You know, a flap or a Velcro strip or something like that. And then just kind of uh, skids past the post.
2: Yeah, it hit my calf wrap.
1: Amazing. So what was going on during that moment?
2: Well, we were on the penalty kill there late in the game. When that guy came down, we we had done video on their on their uh, power play and the guy about to get the puck is he knew that he he's gonna shoot it. I was I did like a quick little shoulder check just to see what what our positioning was out front and this guy this guy had our D which I had seen and then this guy was coming down on it, so and I knew this guy was going to shoot it. Like, there so you're was- worried about
1: – you know that, is that 22 up there is going to shoot it from not far from the, the dot, and then yeah. 21 is kind of boxing out uh, 26 on your squad.
2: Yeah, yeah, and then that, yeah, that shoulder check was basically to see what they had from that position and what their backside guy was doing and where he was. He's not obviously in the screen, but he, it wasn't much of a worry for that. Plus we had our slot – forward, with the he had a stick in the lane and then our other forward was coming down the puck. And this guy, okay. he was his only option to shoot.
1: So were you worried about this 21 that's right in front of you or the player up up higher in the slot? I not
2: worried about this 21. I thought it, there is either, it was either going to be a, a long side shot or a shot pass for a tip option. Mm-hmm. That's what I had seen at this point.
1: Was it 21 who shot it? Yeah, the little backhand. Yeah. 10 had a, a swipe at it, but
2: yeah, like he—that's fractionally just, <laughs> give him inches.
1: Yeah, so that kept the game tied, which is where it was at the end of regulation. Yep. Of course, in overtime, you guys dominated overtime. The box score said it was twelve to two for shots. Uh, Barry thought it was thirteen. Maybe they—they they did that, but Garrett Wait, the six-foot junior forward out of. Edina, Minnesota with the winning goal late in the first overtime.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, we always have this joke just with uh yeah, this joke this here with Waiter that uh he was he was just like our our little Nick like, David, just when he plays he just plays and Pucks just find his way in the net. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's a great kid and, and great hockey player, great teammate. Um, but yeah, no, he uh he got that one for us.
1: Tell me a little bit about the celebration. Is it is it over
2: yet, first of all? Oh moment. yeah, the celebration's over. Yeah, some guys have headed home, see their family. I'm still here on campus right now. Um, but it's kind of just back to reality now. The last week was obviously a lot of celebrating, but it was, it was a great time. I mean, when we came back, I don't know if you've seen the videos or anything, but when we got back to campus, there's like thousands of people cheering for us on, upon our arrival, and they were giving us high fives while we were hanging out the bus. It was, it was a great, great experience. It was pretty emotional. It was, it was one of those things that you don't that you don't come around long and often.
1: Yeah, and then you did other things too. Like you went to the state house.
2: Yeah, yeah. Some of the guys uh, went to the state house for. Meeting and a little, little ceremony thing.
1: Now, one of the things I think that's unfortunate about the NCAA championship trophies, as opposed to say the Stanley Cup or the Isabel Cup, is that you cannot drink liquid out of it. Any any good stories about where that trophy went, other than the state house and maybe the the lawn at UMass Amherst?
2: Ah. Uh... I feel like we kept it pretty tame. Obviously, with it being wood, we didn't really want to put a dent in it or anything just because that's, that's a pretty special thing. So we wanted to obviously not break it. But, no, it's seen our seen our rink, been in our coach's office, spent a lot of time in our coach's office. We had it for a bit at at one of our houses, just had the guys around it just to really soak it in. But, yeah, other than that, we've been pretty gentle with it.
1: Good answer. <laughs> well, I, I know the things that may be different now because half your team is not old enough to go out to bars and so forth, right? So that's probably not really a normal bonding experience like it might have been.
2: Yeah. The age was lower. Yeah, we, we, have, we have our phone.
1: Yeah, I don't doubt it. <laughs> okay. So that's great. So congratulations on that. That's uh, unbelievable. Uh, memory that you're going to have uh, the last thing to say is as I mentioned earlier is that you guys um, blew the doors off St. Cloud State to win the national championship two nights later first one in school history uh, avenging a final loss was it two years ago you were in the finals yeah. as well okay so you finally got the job there. two more things do, do you want to go into UMass hockey history or you want to go into St. Albert Uh, let's go into St. Albert alright let's go into St. Albert we'll get back to UMass hockey history because one of the things we have to do is we need to intertwine UMass hockey history with Cornell hockey history so do not let me forget to do that we do that every show okay you, you're lucky that you haven't played the Big Red <laughs> Lucky that you haven't lost to the Big Red. Otherwise, we'd be looking at more footage.
2: You haven't gotten the Big Red.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you guys haven't played them in four years.
2: Yeah, yeah. We, we, we end up playing a lot of ECAC schools, just being in the Northeast. And yeah, played Quinnipiac, played Union, RPI, and yeah, those those Ivy leagues. We just haven't quite squeezed past yet, or gotten a chance to. uh chance to beat them yet other than Harvard when I beat them in the uh, regionals my sophomore year. Yeah. Play Yale. I, I play Yale my freshman year. I went there.
1: Did you play Quinnipiac?
2: Yep. Yeah. Yale, Quinnipiac, Harvard, RPI, and Union.
1: Okay. Wow. Pretty good memory there. Yeah. Well, as long as we're on that topic then. We're going to get to St. Albert in a second.
2: Here. All right. Let's do
1: this. First of all, do you know any of these kids from Cornell? You got a kid, uh, Austin McGrath. He's a ninety eight goalie from Alberta, you know him?
2: Yeah, yeah. Played against him growing up. He's uh he was a Lloyd Minster guy and always they always had such, they always had a strong team and there's a lot of times where it was San Albert versus Lloyd Minster and it was him versus I.
1: Do you know Matthew Galaja? Uh,
2: I know of him, yeah, I know he was a the goalie there.
1: Oh, okay. I thought you might might have known. He's an all American. He's he's a, a ninety seven out of Aurora. Aurora, Ontario, but he played in the BCHL and he was on Canada West, U-19. So I didn't if maybe you missed him by a year because of your birth
2: year. Yeah, he would have been the year before me because I was on Canada West the year after him, I believe.
1: Yeah. How was that?
2: That was awesome. That was a dream come true to be able to wear your country's logo, uh, your your, your country's symbol on your chest on a jersey like That's what you grew up dreaming.
1: So how does that compare to like? Um, I was trying to figure this out. So the, the World Juniors that we that we see every year is, is that this?
2: No, no, that's uh, that's the U twenties. Oh, and this is U nineteen. Well, no, no, no. So this is this is U twenty as well, but okay, it's more like junior junior hockey focus, whereas like the 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 World Juniors is like uh, so in Canada. For the World Junior A Challenge, which is what we're part of, it's only for guys playing Junior A hockey, so not Major Junior, so not the Western Hockey League or the Ontario uh, Junior Hockey League.
1: Uh, American question here. Junior A is bigger than Major Junior?
2: So we have Major Junior, which is like the WHL, the OHL, the QMJHL.
1: Okay. Those are the best kids in that age group?
2: Uh, you can argue that. I think it's it's a le- it's a lot more glamorous league. Like there's they play in the bigger stadiums, they have the nicer stuff and whatnot. Okay. And then you have Junior A, which is like the BCHL, the AJHL, the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, and the uh, and Ontario has, has a few different Junior Hockey leagues like that.
1: Okay, but they're both producing tons of college players and stuff.
2: All college players from Canada will come out of Junior A because if you play for the Western Hockey League, you actually lose NCAA eligibility because then you're considered like under contract and you actually get some sort of a payment.
1: Oh, okay,
2: Yeah. Yeah. So all Canadian college players come out of Junior A level hockey.
1: So the thing you were involved in was the World Junior A. Yeah. Championship. Okay, And the other one is the other one that they make such a big deal out of. Yeah, exactly. With all the money and the TV contracts and exactly. remuneration and who knows what else they get. So, okay, good. Thanks for clearing that. By the way, Matthew Galaja is dead to me because he went into the transfer portal and he's going to Notre Dame next year as a grad transfer.
2: Yeah, yeah. I saw
1: that. Why Why would somebody do that?
2: Opportunity. Change change of seniority. There's a lot of things that could contribute to that. Maybe he's worried about McGrath. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and the last kid on Cornell is uh, Liam Motley. Do you know him? 6'3 forward out of Calgary. He's a 97. You know more than 98s, right?
2: I mean, 97, 98, 96 is kind of where I know. Ninety nine, so i not too familiar with just because yeah. I was playing up a little bit. But uh, I feel, I've, I've heard the name before, but I've never yeah. And more you place, don't man. have
1: much of a uh, connection to Cornell other than knowing that you guys would have whooped them if Cornell had actually played. Yeah, even though they were probably higher ranked than you going into the season. <laughs> <laughs> see. You guys won the championship. This—that's that's unbelievable. We, we're waiting. We're on a uh, 51 years since we last won the NCAA D1 uh, ice hockey championship. 1970, they did it.
0: did you uh create one
1: no i almost did but i didn't (laughs) in other words i had the the idea for a uh a haiku and i never ended up developing it pond skating related because there was some beautiful pond skating in marblehead yesterday
0: M.P. Param, you are listening to Rink
2: Stories.
4: Dryden's book kind of stands alone. Um, and, and actually, a couple of weeks ago, maybe less, uh, he did an article about Uh, you know goalies being so good ruining the game and they've got to make the nets bigger or reduce the equipment and
1: yeah as
4: as somebody who's not known as a goalie i must have had 20 people send me the article within a 24-hour period but i've been at rules meetings where the nhl reps would come to the college rules meetings and share with us some of the uh prototypes that they've looked at to make a net bigger there's Mm -hmm. a famous story in jock blant's biography where He's interviewed by the media after the game and, and and out of the blue, he says to them, you know, one of the nets, one of the nets is bigger than the other. And they laughed at him. He says, no, he says, I can tell when I, when I lean back against it, one net hits the middle of my back in a certain place and the other net hits it differently. And they went and measured it. And what they discovered that one of the nets had the, the crossbar placed on top of the posts and the other mm-hmm. one had the crossbar between the posts. And so it was... Basically, two inches by six feet bigger than yeah. the other one, and he knew it just by feel. The prototype I thought was interesting was they had one that wouldn't change the holes in the floor, so it was six feet wide at the at the base, but then it bowed out mm-hmm. and then came back, so the crossbar was still six feet. So it wasn't it wasn't taller, and the crossbar was six feet and the base was six feet, but it picked up a couple of inches on each side and you know purists won't allow that to happen probably but something has to happen um if they can't figure out a way to shrink the upper body equipment then they're gonna have to make the net bigger
1: and that'll do it for this episode of rink stories From matt hoff producing out in beverly hills california this is bob winter saying work hard have fun don't be a dick this is Rink Stories.
0: You're nailing the end now, dude. You're saying it with conviction. You believe it. At first, you were tentative. You didn't like that part. And now you're like, you're owning it. I'm really it. getting just... into the don't be a dick thing. Because I think it works. It does. It's, and it's important. You want know, to try not to be a dick? It is. Because in hockey, try not to be, I mean, just try not to be a dick, you know?
2: <laughs>